Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with the goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today, we are in Ephesians, and we'll be looking at Ephesians verse 17 through 23. So we'll be finishing up the very powerful first chapter of Ephesians. And again, as we said, uh, uh, this chapter uh, starts off uh, with um, an acknowledgement that we um, uh, are saints uh, in Christ and also faithful. So God views us as saints right off the bat. He gives us uh, every spiritual blessing uh, in verse 3. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places um, that through our belief we are holy and blameless, even though we don't feel like we're holy and blameless. So we have a real saintly, a real spiritual component to our relationship with Christ, and we also have a faithful uh, component to it too. We still are mortal people. We still live on the earth. We still have to pray. We still have to trust in Him. We still have to be dependent on Him. Okay? So we're, it's not like we're just walking around like saints and we're just, you know, holier than everybody else and we don't have a care in the world. No, that's not. In God's eyes, we're holy and blameless, but uh, our 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 bodies have to we have to live on the on the earth and we have to be faithful and this then this um relationship that we have is in Christ and if you just are aware at how many times in the whole first chapter that he says in Christ Jesus or in him okay so we have this this relationship that we are in our spiritual component is in him Okay, so just as Christ was in the Father and the Father was in Him, they had this unity of spirit. Jesus gives us His Holy Spirit too, so His Holy Spirit dwells in us and we are in Him. So we have this exact same, exact same uh, relationship with Jesus Christ as Jesus Christ has with God the Father. A very, very um, unifying model and this this uh unity that we have in the spirit in the holy spirit in Christ is the same unity that was God's plan from the beginning of time that he would unite all things through Christ 
okay, down in verse 10. So we have unity in the Spirit with one another, the same unity that Christ has uh, with us. So we are in Spirit with one another. We have this unity, and this unity in the Spirit that we have forms this unity in Christ, and also um, we have a unity physically as we walk in faith with one another, and that is Christ's church. That is the body of Christ. And as we see, the those who believe in Christ, those who believe in Christ um, are the uh, spiritual presence of, of Jesus Christ on earth. His Spirit dwells in us, and our bodies, united together forming the church, is His physical uh, body here on earth. So we are the representation of the resurrected body of Christ on earth, just as His body was put to death. Now our body uh, is that formed, that physical presence of Him being resurrected here. Okay? Just as eventually He will raise us and then we'll have new resurrected bodies when we get new bodies after we're uh, raised from the dead. So just as he's raised from the dead, he has uh, a physical body still here on earth. And we are that in the church. And when we believe, when we believe in what he, he did, he gets the praise, he gets the glory down in verse 12. So um, when we're worshiping in church, and we're praising His name, all that kind of stuff. We're actually praising His name for what He has done to save us. You know, sometimes we don't think about that. But when we're worshiping and you think, oh, this is just another song for God and stuff, he, we're actually giving Him the glory. He deserves the glory because He's actually raised us. So it's not like we're uh, worshiping a conceited God in any way. The glory, all glory goes to Him, but that glory is for saving us. So God gets glory, but at the same time, it's all in, in His humility. It's a perfect model of humility. So, um, and then uh, we also have this um, citizenship that is predestined. We learn in this in Ephesians chapter 1 also, that we're predestined for this, uh, this relationship with Him before the beginning of all time. And we are adopted as sons and daughters. And this is uh, all done in love. This is in verse 5. All of this gospel message, all of this unity that we have in Christ, all of these, these, um, this purpose of raising us from the dead, is all um, in love. That is the gospel message. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law, and the fulfillment of the law that we learned in Galatians is love. Jesus Christ is love. And um, love is the first fruit of the Spirit that we learned in Galatians. I believe it was Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, and peace. Love is the blessing that we get from Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. And they call 
um, Jesus, he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay? So, not only does God love us, he called his son who pleased him the beloved. So, uh, Jesus Christ is love. Jesus Christ was loved by God. Jesus Christ loves us to the point of death. And his love for us which saves us through his death, is the fulfillment of the law. And we have this love as well. So this whole citizenship and adoption, we are adopted because we have a Father who loves us. It's not he's adopting us because he has to in any way. So just a a little bit of um, uh, background. For those of you who might not have gotten some of the early studies, this is a a powerful, powerful uh, book, Ephesians. It is a power-packed book of the Bible. Uh, It is called one of the high peaks of the Bible. It's one of the greatest books of the Bible. And the Ephesian church was one of the greatest New Testament churches in the Bible. And uh, the church at uh, Ephesus was one of the greatest cities in the whole Roman Empire. It's no longer present today because of volcanoes and, and earthly things, but it was a port city. The port city even no longer exists today because that port city was filled up with you know, erosions and earthquakes and things like that. But when this city was built, it was, um, it, you know, it housed the, the uh, Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This place was rocking. And so the church here in Ephesus was so strong, it was rivaling all the pagan uh, worship centers too. And they had beautiful, beautiful temples. Their temple there was four times bigger than the Acropolis and the Parthenon uh, in Greece. So um, here we go. Um, We're launching into um, verse... uh, um, This section here, we're in 17, but he starts off, even before this in 15, praying. So he states all these spiritual truths, you know, and then once he he talks about it, I mean, basically he's describing the relationship we have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? That is how he describes it all. And he describes this relationship in him, as a spiritual and a faithful component. And of course, in the end, we are that manifestation of that relationship because we have a saintly and a faithful component. We have a saintly component that we have the Holy Spirit inside us and we are in Him. We have a faithful component that we are united with one another in the body of Christ here on earth. We have a a faithful component. We have a spiritual component. Beautiful, beautiful um, uh, way this is set up. Every single verse connects to every single other verse. So now, after all of this, what does Paul do? And this is where we take up today. What would you do when you get all these spiritual truths, when you read this in the Bible? what I mean, if you read this, this is the Word of God. This is what Paul's wrote, written down. What did Paul do when he looked at all this? Well, the first thing he did was he dropped to his knees in prayer, okay? And that's a model of what we should be, we should be doing. Dr. McGee says that the mark 
of a child of God is prayer. Prayer life is a mark of a child of God. The dependence on God for self and others is just this mark of a prayerful person, of a spiritual person, of a child of God. If you have a spiritual component and a faithful component, what are you going to do with that? You should pray, right? Because if you have a spiritual component to you uh, and the Spirit of God is living inside you, you should talk to the Spirit of God. Otherwise, you got the Spirit of God living inside you and you're not talking to Him. Right? That's like having a guest in your house, living in your house, and you ignore them. You don't even say anything to them. How awkward is that for your house guest? If you're inviting somebody to spend some time with you, and you take them to dinner, but you don't talk to them, how does that person feel? So when you have someone living inside you or in your house, your body's the temple of God. God is living there. And you're not speaking to Him often about everything. You're ignoring Him. So, if you're a spiritual person, you should be praying. If you're a faithful person, if you're a person who is connected to the physical body of Jesus Christ here on earth, connected to all the saints, what should you be doing? Well, you should be praying, right? Because you are the physical representation of Jesus Christ on earth, and the connection that you have with the church is glory to Christ. And so to be faithful, you have to be prayerful, just as Jesus Christ, when his physical body was on earth, he prayed all the time. Because the body of Christ has to represent Christ on earth. If the church wasn't present today, there's no representation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was doing the will of the Father in heaven. You're in the body of Christ. And if you're isolated without prayer or you're isolated from the church, how can you be effective in what you think and say and do? How can you be effective? So this prayer life is real important. So what does he do? What is he praying for? Is he praying for safe journeys? Is he praying for safe travels? Is he praying for, you know, like a laundry list of prayer requests? No, he's praying, uh, with thanksgiving, he's thankful for what? He's thankful for the faith and the love towards all the saints. Okay? The faith and the love. God did the whole gospel out of love. We have a spiritual component. Again, this love all starts with the love that God had for us. He gives love to us through Jesus Christ. Okay? And when we pray, we can return that love back to Him. He blesses us through Jesus Christ when we pray and we, when we honor Him, and when we believe in Him, when we trust in Him. We give glory to Jesus Christ. 
Okay, all our praise and glory goes to Jesus Christ. Okay, so love is really the 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 beginning point of of Ephesians. It is the beginning point of God's relationship with us. Everything He did was love, and the first thing He starts off in Ephesians. Verse 3 is, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. The word blessing comes from the word beatus, which means joy and happiness. Okay? So he starts off Ephesians by be, by blessing God, by saying, Blessed be God the Father. So he is giving his joy and praise back to the Father in heaven. Because the Father in heaven blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So he acknowledges this blessing that we have, that we have been blessed from the Father in heaven down to us. And the proper response of that is blessing back to God the Father. Blessing is joy. When we get the good news to us, that should make us joy. That's the proper response is a joyful heart. When we are saved and raised from our sin and our death, that produces joy. Because out of love, the Father has blessed us. That allows us, the first response is to be thankful and to bless, to praise the Father in heaven. And that gives the Father in heaven joy. When we believe and we are glorifying Jesus Christ's name for what he did, and that gives the Father gladness and happiness when we bless him back. And then we can also bless one another and give one another this same joy that was given to us. So again, he's praying for faith and love. And he is thankful for the faith and love that we have towards one another. So just as we have received it from God the Father in heaven, we can bless one another that we are unified with. And he is thankful for that faith and love towards all the saints. Again, it's a spiritual component to this faith and love, and it is a faithful component to it too okay a spiritual component and a faithful component just as he starts off the chapter one in ephesians with this spiritual component and this faithful component he's ending this um chapter being thankful for this spiritual component and this faithful component to our relationship not only to christ but now he's talking about to one another the beginning of Ephesians, he's talking about this component, this spiritual and this faithful component to God the Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. Now he's shifting it to look in a more horizontal direction as we spread it out to one another. We give this spiritual component and faithful component to one another. And when we do that, we bless them. If we have love in our hearts... We bless them. 
just as God the Father in heaven through Jesus Christ gives us this spiritual component and faithful component of the of his relationship to us we need to give the same relationship relational component to one another and he prays for this so this is a model of prayer it is perfect prayer in the church okay he prays constantly he says in verse 16 i do not cease giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers okay so he's remembering them and a perfect model for prayer is not only just telling people oh yeah yeah i'll pray for you pray for people by name remember people by name remembering this is god's relationship with you if we look at the perfect model god's relationship with you is you individually that should be so comforting to you to know that Jesus Christ died for you. He died for your sin and my sin. That is very personal. That's very nitty-gritty. Because only I know all the lousy, miserable things I've done. And you are only the only person who knows the lousy, miserable things that you've done. But our Lord Jesus knows them all. It's a very personal relationship. We have a Father in heaven who loves each one of us. He gave each one of us to the shepherd by name. Right? And the shepherd will not lose a single sheep. That's a personal relationship. McGee says that Christianity is not a religion. Okay, I'll say it one more time. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. And Ephesians chapter 1 is a masterpiece of telling us all about this relationship that we have with God the Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. And now he's laying it out in his prayer. This exact, He's praying for this relationship that we should have with one another. It is the same relationship, a spiritual and a faithful component. He is constantly praying for people. He is constantly praying for people individually, remembering them in his prayers. And when we look at prayer, as McGee points out, men of prayer, Moses, as he does God's work up on the mountain, interceding for the people, laying down his life, to risking his life to lead the people through whatever God needs him to do, just laying himself right out there. David, as he confesses his sins in prayer, and David is his multiple ways he praises God through his, his songs of praise. Elijah, as he stands alone on a mountaintop. Daniel, as he opened his window, rejecting the authority not to do that as he openly displays his faith for all to see, as he opens his window to God before a hostile power. The prayer of Lord Jesus that was daily, it was constant, it was spiritual, it was faithful. He prayed so much that the apostles just had to come to him and say, tell us how you pray. And we've got here, we got Paul praying. Paul is praying over the church. Okay? He's praying uh, for spiritual blessings on the people, uh, for people by name. 
And isn't that interesting how when Paul comes to all these, the you know, when Paul goes through all this, the first thing he does is drop to his knees in prayer. Paul is concerned. He is, he is encouraging this church. He is talking to them about all these blessings that we have, this relationship that we have. The first thing he does, he puts a seal on it with prayer. Paul, When Paul does something important, he prays over it. That's a model. And again, that's a model as a child of God. It's a prayer life. It's a model. It's a mark of a child of God. Then you have to ask yourself, when you're reading this passage, how much am I praying every day? Are you praying over important things? If something's important in your life, do you celebrate or have a party or do you pray? You can do both. But if prayer's not there, you're not talking to to the Holy Spirit living with you. You have a dysfunctional body. You're the physical representation of Christ on earth. Well, you saw Christ praying every second, all the time. Well, if you're supposed to be Christ's physical body here on earth, how much is Christ's physical body on earth right now praying? Do you think Christ could do all the things that He was doing when He was on earth without praying about it? Do you think He was just walking around just doing what he what he thought was right deep down inside and hoped that God would agree with him. And then when he get himself in a mess, he would say, God, get me out of this mess. Or was he praying before he did things, during the things he did and after the things he did? He was prayerful about everything he did. Every important thing he did, he prayed before it. And... After he did what he did, he would be prayerful about it too. He was always praying. How much do you pray? How much do I pray? It's a convicting thing. Um, it's an instructional thing. So what does he pray for too? He, play, he prays for spiritual blessings. He's asking... Um, He's being grateful. He's being thankful, okay, towards the faith and the love that the saints have for one another, okay? Now he's asking for something. He's thankful for something, and now he's going to ask for something. What's he going to ask for? Well, he gives thanks, but then the first thing he asks for is he asks, in verse 17, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Knowledge of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is probably more valuable than anything else he could pray for. He's praying for wisdom and knowledge. And then he goes in verse 18, he says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called to you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, what is the eyes of your heart? The eyes of your heart. Did he say the eyes of your brain be enlightened? No, he said your heart. The eyes of your heart. So, who lives inside you? And the heart is always 
sort of the Bible talks about the heart as being what you feel. Sometimes it refers to the brain. We want to think of the brain, but in this in this age, the heart was always really, really important about what you, where your heart is, to be Christ-centered, to have a humble heart. David said it over and over in the Psalms, but, you know, God loves a humble heart. God is near to those with a humble heart. You have to have humility. A hardened heart won't accept the Lord. We have to have our hearts open Okay, and he's talking about letting the Spirit teach you. Spiritual truths can only be taught by the Spirit of God. This is in in verse 18. So the eyes of your heart can be enlightened. He's not talking about your brain. He's talking about your heart. Now, to understand the Scriptures, do you have to be the smartest, brainiest person in the world? No. God humbles the proud and... Those who think they have knowledge and are puffed up by that, his mystery, his words, his teaching, his wisdom can be their folly. Okay? And you can't understand this intellectually. These are spiritual truths. And spiritual truths have to be perceived within one's heart, not one's brain. This is not an intellectual exercise. This requires your heart. This requires your faith to understand it. Even God's Word has a spiritual component to it and a faithful component to it. God's, we have in ourselves, we have a spiritual component and a faithful component. Jesus Christ living in us is a spiritual component, and us being unified in the body is a faithful component. God's Word, God's knowledge, has a spiritual component and a faithful component to it, too. And that spiritual component, the Spirit of Wisdom, the Holy Spirit, is our teacher. And He is praying that the Holy Spirit can teach them, okay, these spiritual truths. And we have to be faithful that you may know we have to be faithful in our in our faith in the Lord Jesus and our faith in the Lord Jesus allows when we trust in him his spirit dwells in us that's the faithful component as we believe and the spiritual component is what we get when we believe in learning in prayer prayerfully learning we are praying as he's prayed for enlightenment, spiritual enlightenment. And McGee says, let the Spirit teach you. The Spirit is ready to teach you that you may know what is this hope he has called you, this glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, does that mean we inherit a bunch of gold in heaven? Yay! Heaven is paved with streets of gold and we're going to inherit this condominium that is right off God's house and it's going to be, you know, ooh la la. Is that it? No, that's not the inheritance he's talking about, this glorious inheritance. The glorious inheritance is us. We are the inheritance. Think about that for a minute. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 18, in the saints. We are his inheritance. 
We are the reward given to Jesus Christ for going to the cross, for dying, for being raised up. What's his reward? Is it being seated at the right hand of the Father? Well, yeah, he is. Is it being given all authority? Yes, it is. But what really does he inherit? He inherits us. He inherits his sheep. Because now we don't die. We are raised from the dead. We, the God the Father in heaven gives the sheep to the shepherd. So when the shepherd lays down the life for the sheep, the sheep then are the riches, the inheritance that the shepherd gets. He gets his own sheep. He gets the sheep that he died for. If, if Can you imagine dying for the sheep if you're the shepherd? And then you don't even get the sheep in the end. You know, you lay down your life to go get the lost sheep and you lose the sheep. It's not an inheritance model. We are the glorious inheritance. That's how much he loves us. Do you think that Jesus Christ went to the cross to die so that he would somehow get you mixed up and lose you? No, you are marked with a seal when you believe. It talks about you are marked with a seal, your salvation. It says in verse 13, when you believe in Him, you're sealed with a promise, the promise Holy Spirit. Living inside you, who's the guarantee of our inheritance. Okay, verse 14 until we acquire possession of it to the praise and His glory. The Holy Spirit there is to protect the church, to protect you. The Holy Spirit is your teacher, your counselor, your helper that the Holy Spirit has been talked about. That is a powerful component to you. So you now uh, can have this Spirit teach you, open your eyes, give you spiritual uh, insight into the, the scriptures when you read. And you can read a verse and somebody else can read a verse and maybe they have a little bit of insight in what they see in it. That's the Holy Spirit in them talking, telling them, teaching them. Oh, how great it is to read these words. Such encouragement that we have such a complicated, beautifully interwoven relationship that we have with our Father, our Lord, our Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit, unified in one another, spiritually and faithfully, that we are the riches of His inheritance in the saints. Now, you think that's great. Now for the power punch. He pulls the power punch at the end of Ephesians. Verse 19, this blows your mind. Ready, Get ready to be blown. This glorious inheritance in the saints and, comma, and, here we go, what is the immeasurable greatness, it's so big you can't even understand it, the immeasurable greatness of his power, Okay, now we're getting into power. I said it is the power punch. Power towards us who believe, okay, us who believe, according to the working of His great might, 
that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now, what does that mean right there? That means, folks, that the same power that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead with, that power is for you. You have that same power now working in your life that He raised Christ from the dead with. It's the same power. Now, this is written by Paul, who is an apostle on the authority of God, who Jesus Christ appeared before. He is telling you like it is because he's seen it. This is the same power. And he says it is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name. This is Jesus Christ when he, when he is seated at the right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. Boom! That's where he put Jesus Christ. That's his power. That's his authority. And that the same power is for you and for me too. And Jesus Christ is in control of it. Jesus Christ has all authority. Okay? And he put all things under his feet and gave him, this is verse 22, gave him as the head over all things to the church. which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, so Jesus Christ is raised from the dead according to God's immeasurable power. Just, oh yeah, by the way, that immeasurable power is for you too. If you Do you think life is hopeless and helpless? Do you think you're depressed and down in the dumps? Do you think you have cancer? Do you think you're a senior citizen sitting around with a bunch of medical problems and everything's just you're feeling like nobody loves you, nobody cares about you? Do you think that, you know, your life is just really ineffective? Well, understand this, folks, and this is for me too. Understand this, everybody, that those things you may still be looking at, Jesus Christ had a, had a hard day too. Everybody has a hard day. God doesn't promise you that when you believe in, believe in Him, you won't have a hard day. He doesn't promise you a peaceful day. He promises to give you His peace. His peace is the presence of God. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. When we believe in Him... We have access to God through Jesus Christ. We're marked with this seal of the Holy Spirit, but we have the presence of God in our life. We have this relationship with God the Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ is in the Father, the Father is in Him. Jesus Christ is in us, and we are in Him. We have these spiritual blessings in verse 3, in all the, in the heavenly places, every spiritual blessing. We're blameless. We're holy and blameless, okay, in His eyes, okay, when we believe. We have that instant relationship. We are also united with one another in the church. You still think you're hopeless and helpless and nothing going on? You have an instant relationship right off the bat. You have a spiritual component to that relationship and you have a faithful component to that relationship. So it's not all about just getting the riches and all these great things that God knows you and loves you, but you have a faithful component to it too because your belief in Him requires your faith and the boosting of your faith is through the eyes of your heart being opened up to seeing the blessings that you already have. You have uh, the Spirit of God working inside you and as Paul is saying, he's praying over and over for you to have that wisdom and to be taught in the knowledge. And you don't have to be a brainy, a brainful person. You need to be a heartful person, one that your eyes are open up of your heart. You may not even know how to read, but you don't have to know how to read to be powerful in your faith and have powerful insight into the Scriptures, into the Word of God, into the wisdom of God to be enlightened. is to know this hope that you have in Him is that you are His you are His inheritance. And whatever's going on in your little life right now, all your problems, well, those are problems. Jesus Christ has already died for you, for your soul, for you personally. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is there to work in your life too. You may think life is down in the dumps or you're hopeless or helpless or depressed you got to remember that God's immeasurable power, God's immeasurable greatness is for you. He raised Christ from the dead. He can raise you from your problems. He raised Christ from the dead. You think life is over and you're dead already? Jesus died already too. He raised Jesus from the dead. He can raise you too. He can help you. But you have to open up the eyes of your heart. Focus on the Lord. If your heart is focused on what your problems are, you're focused on the wrong thing. If your eyes are focused on your agenda, you're not going to be effective. First, focus on Him. Have a humble heart. And keep your heart centered on Christ. Then you can worry about the other stuff. But if your heart isn't centered on Christ, you won't be effective on anything you do. And that's what Paul was so prayerful about. He was praying for the faith that they would have and the love for one another. So, when you're, prayer, when you're praying, pray for your own faith 
and pray for your own love along with other people too. Because don't take faith and love for granted. You want to be able to have love in your heart to bless other people just as Jesus blessed you and the Father in heaven blessed you through Jesus. That's a spiritual component. You want to pray for your own faith too because you have to your faith is worth more than anything else. It's worth more than gold. Your faith in the Lord Jesus allows you to be enlightened to the Scriptures, to be faithful to His Word. That's how you live down here on earth with all the problems that you have to face. You have to, you have, that tries your faith. And our Father allows us to have to go through things so that we perfect our faith. So, the last part of this is that Christ is this unifying, um, unifying thing that that He is he is uh, is the unifying central uh, building stone for the whole church. He is the head of the church, which is His body. This physical representation of His resurrected body on earth is the church. It's me and you who believe. And if you can't if you can't believe in him, if you're not faithful in your belief, the church falls apart. Okay? Because if we don't have faith if we don't have faith in him, if we don't trust in him, if we don't believe in him, how can the how can the body be united and connected with one another so our faith to lift one another up in faith to encourage one another to grow in faith strengthens the church and we have to apply that faith not only to one another but to our problems but it's not all about having faith to get over your stuff and get over your problems Oh, I wish I had a new car. Oh, I wish the people at my job would like me. Oh, I wish I'd be more popular in school. Oh, I wish I had more money in the bank. Oh, I'm praying for my faith so I can get over that. It's not about you praying for your own stuff. That's not your faith. Your faith is to pray for one another, to lift one another up, to strengthen their belief in the Lord Jesus. It's all about the Lord Jesus. It's about Him, not your stuff and my stuff. Why? Because we exist so that we can glorify God. Our bodies are alive. We've been raised from the dead too. Dead in our sins. Okay? So we're raised from the dead right here, right now. God gives us every spiritual blessing already in heaven. God gives us everything up front. We are saints. We are holy. We are blameless. God gives us everything right up front. Okay? So, if we've been raised from the dead of our sin, we have to be faithful about that. We have to be, continue to trust in that, believe in that. When we do, we glorify Him. Remember, the debt's already been paid. Jesus has already done it. He's already died for the sins that you might commit today. He's already died so that whatever you can do, you're being washed. You're holy and blameless already. 
You already have that relationship with Him. So that is what your faith does. Your faith has to be living and active. And it's all pointed to Christ. Your faith is not supposed to, you know, be something to get you at the football game so you pray for your football team. You know, your faith is supposed to be directed at the Lord Jesus. He is the head of the church body, and you're part of that body. He's head of you. He should be head of your household. He should be head of your body, which is a temple. Everything that you think and say and do is supposed to glorify Him now. Why? Because He laid down His whole life for you so that you can be alive. That you can live. You won't die. And He gives you the same power that He has that raised Him from the dead. He gives you the same relationship with the Father in heaven that He has. He gives you the presence of God in your own life that He had. Gives you the relationship He had. He gives you the power that He had. He gives you the unity with one another that He had just as He had with the Father in heaven. He gives it to you with Himself and to one another. This is the amazing book of Ephesians first chapter it's so much to talk about so much to dwell on I tried my best in the time to give you the overview of the first chapter before we talked about Paul's prayer and to look at Paul's power-packed prayer there and to just give you a, a just a flavor of this amazing amazing relationship that we have with the Father in heaven. So, I hope you can take time to pray together, uh, pray today as well. And I just, uh, this is the part where I'll turn the podcast over to my partner and co-host, Matali. Matali, as always, hope you're doing well. Regards to everyone in Zambia. And for me to all of you, God bless you, and I'll see you next time. Hi. So today's teaching is coming from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through to 23. So these particular verses, um, they are a prayer of Paul. This is a prayer of thanksgiving. Um, Paul is um, pointing out how um, we should pray and not just make a list a grocery list to God of what, like, of the things that that we want Him to do for us. It's 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 a prayer for Paul. So, um, you know, good news. It calls Paul to prayer, and Paul was a great man of prayer. So, you know, as children of God today, you know, let's not only let bad news or sadness or sorrows call us to prayer. Let even the good news call us to prayer. As Pastor J.B. McGee put it, you know, the mark of a child of God is um, how much does he feel um, his dependence of God. You know, how much 
do you feel you or how much do you turn to God and then and, and just you know just kneel down and pray to him this is how you can tell the mark of a child of God so um <clears throat> this, these particular teachings are looking at um you know um prayer and um prayer and thanksgiving so verse 17 <clears throat> of Ephesians chapter 1 reads that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So, um, Paul is not only praying um, for material things, he's praying for spiritual blessings. Paul revealed that the the Father planned the church, like in, in chapter 1, the Father planned it, God the Father planned the church, God the Son paid for the church, and God the Holy Spirit protects the church. So, um, Paul is praying for like spiritual blessings, which were actually mentioned in um, verse 3, and um, it reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed it, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So he's not Paul's not only praying for material things, but he's praying for you know knowledge and wisdom, <clears throat> and um, you know the spirit of God is the only thing that can help us open our you know the eyes to our heart um, and teach us you know. Where in scripture we're not sure. You know, the Spirit of God is a guidance. It's the only thing that that can reveal to us what we don't understand. You know, let us kneel down in prayer if we don't get a particular chapter or verse and just ask for guidance. Verse 18 <clears throat> goes on to read, um, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So, um, you know, the eyes, um, our hearts being enlightened, you may be, um, you know, you may be, um, intellectually bright but not spiritually there yet so if we call upon the spirit of God to just um, teach us and guide us um, you know no one human being can say oh hey I'm spiritually like smart no like you know it's the spirit of God that actually guides us and opens up our the eyes of our hearts to actually not only read and hear scripture, but to also understand scripture. <coughs> so, um, verse 18 also looks at um, his calling. What are the riches of glory of his inheritance in the saints? So, um, you know, our inheritance as, 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 as children of God, you know, the riches of the glory on his inheritance in us. God has an inheritance in us. And, um, 
you know, one day God is, like everything's going to be on his, you know, at his feet. He's going to be ruler. <clears throat> and um, since <clears throat> God has an inheritance in us, we're going to rule one day, you know, with Christ when um, he comes. So <clears throat> I'm going to read from verse 19 through to 23. It reads, um, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to his work, according to his mighty power. <clears throat> this 19 is looking at power, you know, the power that God has. Imagine the power God has to raise somebody from the dead and to ascend that person in, on earth, in heaven, sorry. That's how much power, like it's, 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 I cannot even begin to comprehend the amount of power that has because, you know, like um, lifting something, you know, from earth, defying gravity. And then, um, you know, the amount of power he has, he has his son at his right hand um, who's going to rule. Like this is the amount of power that... that um, that God has, um, and, um, you know, the power of ascension, which is, like, beautiful, um, so if, if we're going to read, um, verse 20, it reads, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, this was power, and he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly place, far above all principality and power and might and domination and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the in that which is to come and to put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him he fills, who fills all in all. So, um, you know, it talks of, um, you know, he's going to be, um, all things are going to come, you know, to his feet and he's going to like rule when he comes during the second coming. He's going to rule all, for all eternity. And, um, you know, he, he he is raised he was raised from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of the father and far above all principality so he has that much power and might and um you know, this is the amount of power that god has right now this is like our wonderful god our creator so um <clears throat> verse 23 says which is his body the fullness of him who feels all in all. So um, I'll go back to verse 23, and it reads, And he put all things under his feet, that's going to be ruler of all creation, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So the church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And um, the church has a body of believers. The church has, like, one body and many members. So, you know, um, 
Let us always remember Christ is the head of the church and the church is the body. And we are baptized in one body. That's the body of Christ. That's um, the church. And um, Christ is, 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 is the head of the church right now. But during his second coming, not only will he be the head of the church, but he's going to rule over all eternity. Everything will come under his feet. And, um, yeah. <clears throat> so this is today's teaching of Ephesians. It, 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 it shows the power of prayer. Um, let us be, let us emulate Peter, where good news calls us to prayer and not just bad news and sorrow. Yeah, so this was today's teaching. Thank you all for listening. God bless and bye-bye.